Hey, my name is Paul Mumaw. I'm the lead pastor at Genesis. We're starting a brand new series today called The End. And uh, what we want to do over the next four Sundays together is an, uh, address some important questions uh, about life, about the world, about what happens, you know, when it, when it maybe all comes to an end. Questions like, where's the world heading? Uh, we all ask those questions. Uh, what, what does the future hold uh, for our lives? And maybe even in a more personal way, like what significance, if any, does the end have on my life, both for the future, but even for the here and right now? now. And like, who could blame us for asking these kinds of questions? I mean, so many people are asking these questions today. You know, what does, you don't have to be a part of a church. You can be brand new to all of this. And man, we're around every, people every day that are asking these sorts of questions. And with all the craziness and fear in our world right now, like take, for example, like all the attention, the media attention around things like climate change and worldwide conflict and sickness and disease and concerns about the economy. And I know everybody's fired up about the next presidential election season, right? I mean, we're all real excited about this one and uh, what's going to you know, happen over the next uh, year and a half. But I, I think we all know, we can see why there's so much fear and, and uncertainty out there today. Everybody he's concerned about it. Even, even this guy. Even this guy is concerned about the end. Even he's got an opinion uh, about the end because we all do. We've all got questions and concerns. But the good news is this. The good news is that the Word of God uh, for us has a lot to say about the end, about what we should expect, uh, how we should prepare, and really what our role is as a church and what our role is as followers of Jesus Christ. Now, the hard part is this that even amongst uh, the most respected biblical scholars today, there are a lot of different interpretations uh, on the end times events, specifically the timing of the events and maybe the order that they will occur in. And so as we begin this series today, I want to just say right up front that we're not going to try and answer every question. We're not going to try and put every little piece together for you. But instead, over the next four weeks, the way we're approaching this is we're going to look at four different perspectives from the Bible, we want to look at the words of Jesus and of people like Peter and, and Paul and John and, and all of their words, some of their words, at least not all of them, having to do with the end. And, and I want to say this too, that while there are different interpretations on the explanation and the timing of these events, what we're going to focus on is this. We, we've arrived at just kind of four essential truths that we think are important to every Christian, every church, and certainly to our lives. And they're just this. They're in your notes. They're, it's the reminder that our God has a plan. He's got a plan for this world world that has been unfolding. It's a perfect plan. Uh, number two, that Jesus Christ will return, that He is coming again one day, that there are only two eternal destinations uh, for every person, a place called heaven, a place called hell. We'll talk a little bit about that today, and that finally, Jesus is the only way to heaven. He is the only way. That is the foundation of what we believe as a church. That is the foundation uh, for what I believe ought to be just, you know, again, at the heart of every Christian, every person and how we live our lives, the purpose that we have uh, here on this planet. And just to give you a heads up too, our teaching team is going to kind of be rotating back and forth between both campuses uh, over the next four weeks. And so I'm going to preach this same message in Noblesville next week. Uh, our Noblesville campus pastor, Ben Krause, is preaching a different message today. He's going to come over here next Sunday. So if you move around at all, you might want to stay put for the next four weeks. Otherwise, you might have to hear the same message a couple of different times. But if that's okay with you, uh, go for it. But today I want to open uh, in the last book of our Bible, uh, the book of Revelation. Uh, if you've got a Bible, with you, uh, or if you want to use one of the room around the room on the floor, you can turn to Revelation 22, or if you use one of those Bibles in the room, it's page 873, I think, or 
just go to the last page. It's like the last page of your Bible outside of the few extras that are in there. But Revelation uh, 22, we're going to be in a whole bunch of different verses today, but just just go there. We'll start there in just a moment. Um, Revelation, just to give you some background, was written by the Apostle John, all right, a disciple of Jesus. And by the time he copied down these words in Revelation, these, these words that we call Revelation, John was the last living of the original 12 disciples. And what's really interesting is what happened to each of these disciples after the resurrection of Jesus, because maybe many of you know that, of course, Judas, the one who betrayed Jesus, he would take his life. And as Steve mentioned last Easter weekend, uh, of the other 10, John being the exception, the other 10 all died for their faith. Uh, They all gave their lives. They were martyred for their faith. They wouldn't give up telling others about the resurrected Jesus. And so if you're a skeptic of Christianity, I think it's really interesting that 10 of the 12 were willing to die for their faith. All right, they weren't willing to give up the message. They wouldn't cave. They wouldn't fold on the fact that they indeed had seen Jesus raised from the dead. And again, one guy survived, and that's John here. And it's about 60 or so years after the resurrection of Jesus, around 95 AD, that John was exiled uh, to a place by the Roman emperor to a place called the island of Patmos, all right? You can look that up on uh, your Google Maps if you want to at some point. But the island of, of Patmos, again, he was exiled there to a cave, and it was there that John received a vision or a revelation from God that we call revelation. And what John summarizes here, it provides for us insight really for both the present, but it also provides some insight for us for the future. And to summarize, really, the big idea of revelation is a picture of God and Satan at war. All right, it's a picture of God and Satan doing battle. And one of the things, that, and you know this if you've spent some time in it before, one of the things that makes Revelation really challenging is that John really writes as a poet. And it's full of metaphors, it's full of symbols, it's full of this imagery. And that's really where the difficulty with the interpretation uh, comes in for so many people. But, but you should read it, all right? I, I think every person should read it. And here's why God wins, all right? Like that, that's the glorious message of Revelation is that God wins, that the good news is that Satan indeed will be crushed. And, and so don't get freaked out reading it, all right? Even in the midst of the dragons and the beasts and again, all the imagery that's there. And, and I just say this to you, don't overthink these things because even though it's challenging to read, the good news is that it's all about Jesus. It's the revelation of Jesus and the victory that we have in and through him. In fact, I like what one pastor uh, says about the book of Revelation and, and the end times. He just says this, hey, when the apocalyptic dust settles, when everything happens in the order that it's going to happen in, you just be sure you're standing with Jesus, all right? Because that's our hope. That's what's most important is that we are hang- that we are standing, that we have trusted Jesus Christ with our lives. But the other great thing about reading Revelation is this, it promises a blessing to those who actually read it. Check this out, Revelation chapter 1, verse 3. John writes, Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear it and take it to heart what was written in it, because the time is near. And so I want to challenge you with this. I want to challenge you to read it. In fact, I hope you'll take it on as a challenge for this week. It'll take you about 45 minutes or so. Uh, but to read through the book of Revelation this week, and again, I realize that might raise a whole bunch of questions for you, feel free to email. Uh, you can find our emails uh, on the website, but email anyone from our team if you've got questions. Maybe, maybe it's going to raise some questions that we're not even going to address. We'll be happy to share some resources with you that we're reading, that we're learning from, so that you can discover some of these things uh, for yourself. And again, Ben will be here next week. Just to give you a heads up, he's
he's going to talk about that moment when Christ returns and what that's going to be like and even the time leading up to it and what do we do in the meantime and what does that look like uh, afterwards. But for the sake of only having about 25 minutes or so left with you, uh, I want to zero in on just a couple of things uh, that I think are critical that John writes for us because here's, here's the thing. Because regardless of whether or not Jesus returns in our lifetime or not, okay, for you and me, regardless of whether he returns in our lifetime or not, one thing John reveals is this, and that is that one day, every single one of us, every person that has ever lived and will live before Christ returns, every single one of us, get this, will face one of two judgments. All right, we're going to talk about this today. We will all face one of two judgments, Revelation 22 Verse 12, John writes this. He says, look, I am coming soon. He's talking about Jesus here. This is the revelation he's received from God. It's a picture of Jesus. Jesus says, my reward is with me, and I will give to each person according to what they have done. Jesus says, I am the alpha and the omega, the first and the last letters of the Greek alphabet. He says, I am the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Now, let me say this right up front here, because in case you're new to Genesis today, or if you're new to your faith in Christ, let me, I want to be crystal clear on something that I say right up top. You and I, we are not qualified for heaven by how good we are, all right? This isn't a performance sort of thing, that if you are so good uh, that you get into heaven, because the truth is this, we're all sinners, Uh, every single one of us. I I am a sinner. We all need a Savior. Uh, Salvation and and getting right with God is not something that, again, you accomplish on your own. It's not by doing so much more good than you do bad. No, we are made right with God by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. But here's the thing. If you are a Christian, if you've trusted Christ with your life, it's so important that you realize this. It's so important that we realize that your works don't qualify you for heaven, okay? That's not what seals the deal, all right? It's not through our works, but the way you live matters. And here's why. The way you live your life here on this earth determines the kinds of rewards that you will receive in heaven. And this is the first of at least two judgments. The first, if you're taking notes, is what we call the judgment seat of Christ, All right, it's the judgment seat of Christ. Now, where do we see this? Well, we see this in at least one place. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10, the apostle Paul writes this. He says, for we must all, and here and on this occasion, he's writing to Christians, all right? Here's what he says, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each of us may receive what is due for us for the things we did or for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. Now, Most scholars agree, and I do too, that the judgment seat of Christ is for Christians only, that believers will see the judgment of Christ, and at the judgment seat of Christ, you're not judged between heaven and hell. It's not the deciding place of whether you go to heaven or whether you go to hell. That's already taken place. That's what's determined in this life and the choice you make, the personal choice that you make to put your trust and your faith in Jesus Christ. And so this judgment seat, this judgment seat of Christ will determine the rewards that you and I receive if you're in Christ for how you lived your life here on earth. The Greek word for this judgment seat is the word bima. 
B-E-M-A. That's the Bema seat, the judgment seat of Christ. And, and here's some context for that. There's an athletic competition, maybe you remember this from history class, uh, near Corinth called the Isthmian Games. It was kind of a forerunner to the Olympics. Well, the Bema seat at the games was a raised platform in the crowd where all of the honored guests would sit, all right? And they could cheer on the competition, but it was also that place where the judge would sit so that when the athletes were done, they would go by the Bema seat, and it is where they received their reward, all right? And, and it's where, again, all of these awards were given. Now, speaking of rewards, I was kind of reminded this past week of a, a funny sort of a reward ceremony that I attended one time. I was in college, and I was looking for a church, and I went to this church on a Sunday. I'd never been there before, and uh, I went in, and I'll always remember this too, and this, this like, it doesn't really matter, but I'll just tell you anyways. Like, we sat in this church, and there was one gentleman in particular, and he kept saying over and over after a song, and even in the preaching, amen, you betcha, and he would say it just like that, and I bet he said it 20 years. I keep waiting for that guy to walk into our church one of these days, all right? Just, amen, you betcha. But, but here's the thing. When the preacher got up to preach, all right, they, they kind of sabotaged him. A couple of leaders did and came up on stage because evidently it was an anniversary of sorts that day for the pastor. And so they gave him a couple of gifts. They gave him this envelope, and I remember they gave him this big clock that he was holding on to. And well, he opened up the envelope, and, and evidently there was a cash gift in there. And this, this was just a little odd. It was a little strange for me, but he just, he said in that moment, he kind of had the audacity to say, hey, I know our church can't afford this, this is going back in the offering plate, which I thought was just like, wow, I mean, they're giving you this gift and you're just like kind of putting it back in their face. But then this, to top it off, and this is true, he dropped the clock on accident and busted it right on the stage. So he had just rejected their financial gift and then he dropped the only thing that he couldn't return and now it's busted. It just wasn't a great morning for him in this particular uh, awards program that took place here. here. Here's the thing, there will be a moment all right, before heaven, before we enter heaven. And if you're in Christ, you will stand before Jesus and you will be rewarded for how you live your life on this earth. Now, how will we be rewarded? We don't know for sure, all right? But according to Scripture, there are at least five different crowns that we can and will receive in heaven. They're here for you on the screen as well as some Scripture references you can check out for yourself. Uh, the Bible talks about an imperishable crown. Uh, as best as we can see it's, a, it's for those who run a faithful race all through life, those who are devoted to Christ and everything that they do. There's the crown of rejoicing, and this is, seems to be a crown, a reward that is given to those who, who share their faith, uh, who live very intentionally at college and where you work and in your, your neighborhood. There's the crown of righteousness, and for this is for anyone who recognizes that there's more to life than this world. In fact, it's for those who get excited for, long for, pray for the, the coming of Christ again. There's the, the crown of glory, which seems to be for faithful pastors and ministers, men and women, missionaries who make bold sacrifices for the sake of, of serving Jesus, and then the crown of life. And the crown of life is for anyone who has suffered for Christ. Uh, it's for the persecuted. I'm thinking specifically about the men and women and children who lost their lives in Easter worship services in Sri Lanka uh, last weekend. All right, it's the crown of life. Now you can look at these and you, you know, people, are there more crowns? Maybe, you know, and, and, and how many can you get? Like, are you only allowed one in heaven? And so you kind of get the greater of the two. It's not like that. It, and it's not like people are gonna walk around and say, oh, wow, you got the imperishable crown. Every, everyone gets that crown, right? You know, I got the crown of life, you know. I, not like that. I mean, we missed the point because, well, we know it's not like that because if you read Revelation 4, get this, when the 24 elders received their crowns, we get this picture from John. Look what they did with their crowns. 
Verse 10, it says, the 24 elders fall down before him, this is Jesus, who sits on the throne, and worship him who lives forever and ever. Look what they do. They lay their crowns before the throne and say, you are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they were created and have their being. Here's the thing. I have a hunch that when we stand before Jesus one day, we ain't going to be thinking about our crowns. Those crowns will come off and we will lay them down and fall on our faces before Jesus because of what he has done and what he's accomplished for us. And when you consider what he endured, like in all that he gave, like you and I will realize we deserve nothing. We deserve nothing. And like these elders, again, we will bow down and we will worship him. And it got me thinking this, that we can wait for that. Like you can do that one day or we can do that right now. I can't you and I, can't we do that right now, every day of our lives, everything that we do, that it's all for Jesus, everything that we are and hope to be. Like, what if you lived your life? Imagine living your life like that. It all is because of you. Everything that I do is because of, uh, of Jesus. Here, here's what I want you to see, even in this description of these awards, rewards. The way you live, uh, the way you love Uh, The way you give your generosity, the way you pray, the way you spend your time choosing obedience over selfishness, sharing your faith, it all matters. What you do this side of heaven matters to followers of Jesus Christ. It matters. He's watching. He cares for us. It's what he wants for each of us, and he wants it right now. And um, let me do this. Let me switch gears for just a moment. I want to I talk to you about heaven for just a few minutes and, and what we can expect in heaven. And I'll first say that there's a lot about heaven that we don't know. Uh, it's, a, it's a tough subject to really learn from and see and because, honestly, there's not a lot of info in our Bibles about heaven. Uh, but what we do have, like the things that we can read, well, it leaves lots uh, to the imagination because John had a vision, all right? A part of his revelation was a vision of heaven, specifically in Revelation 21. If you want to turn there right now, Revelation 21, uh, beginning in verse 1, here's what John records about the vision he was given of heaven. He writes, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first, first earth had passed away. There was no longer any sea. He says, I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed, for her husband. He says, I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes and there'll be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. A few things that we see here. These are in your notes. What's what's heaven like? The first thing that we see is that God is going to establish. He's in the process of establishing this new heaven and this new earth. Now, I used to think that heaven, uh, as a kid, was this far-off place beyond Saturn or something that we all traveled to one day. You know, it was a big sign, welcome to heaven, all right? Well, it it ain't like that. I I want you to notice that John says here, he describes a new heaven and a new earth. Uh, I believe that this new uh, heaven, this new earth, again, specifically this new new earth that John is describing will be the place that we spend, those who have trusted Christ, spend for all of of eternity. Now, where's this new earth? Well, from what I see, it's this planet, all right? It's this planet that we will inhabit for all of eternity, but fully restored, 
all right, brand new, like nothing you or I have ever seen, ever experienced before, it, but it will be everything that God intends for it to be. Now, what makes it unique? Well, it's brand new, which means there's no more curse, all right, there's no more sin. Think about it like this, like whatever you enjoy on earth today, like you'll enjoy, all right, anything from God, you'll enjoy in the new heaven, the new earth, and because there's no sin, It'll be a lot like the Garden of Eden that we can read about before sin entered the scene because it was a paradise. It was a place of uninterrupted fellowship with God. And so it's not a coincidence that Genesis, the beginning of our Bible, begins with this picture of a perfect place, the garden with God, and it ends there too because it's about it being fully restored, getting things back to the way that they were intended to be. And so Again, when you think about heaven and you try and imagine for yourself, what's it going to be like? Think about those things that you love. Uh, think about some of your favorite moments here on the earth. Think about some of the greatest sights uh, that you've ever seen. We, uh, our family, uh, did a great spring break vacation a few weeks back, and uh, we flew out west. Uh, we went to Vegas because our college savings plan is all about Vegas, right? And so we get our kids involved too. I'm just kidding. We didn't do that. But we flew into Vegas. Uh, it was 2 o'clock in the afternoon. We drove the strip, and that was the, all that we did with Vegas. We made a right-hand turn and headed east towards the Grand Canyon. That was our first stop. How many of you have ever seen the Grand Canyon before with your eyes? You can't describe it, right? I mean, no picture does it justice. And one of our, my favorite moments was watching my kids run up to the rail for the first time, you know, and seeing it with their own eyes and just trying to imagine, like, what's, what's heaven going to be like? We, we spent the next week 1,300 miles in the car. We went all the way out to the four corners, and then we made our way through southern Utah. I got a hunch that southern Utah is pretty close, all right, at least pretty close to what heaven is going to look like. And we went to Capitol Reef National Park and Bryce Canyon, and then my favorite, Zion. And I'll remember when we drove into Zion for the first time and sitting on this bridge and looking down through the valley and through the canyon, like, wow, like what a picture. And to think, like, heaven's going to be greater. Like, it's going to be greater than even a sight like this. All right, it'll, it'll be unlike anything we've ever experienced before. And so we know that, that eternity with God in heaven and the new earth is perfect. It's going to be beyond anything that we can imagine, and a big part of that has to do with number two, and that is that there will be no more pain. Uh, we read that a moment ago in verse four. John writes, there will be no more death, no more mourning, no more pain. And what does that mean? It means what you think it means. No more pain. Heaven means no more death or suffering. Uh, we, we can have this confidence that there will be no more tragedies. There will be no funerals in heaven. And uh, I hope that's encouraging to you. I hope that's encouraging to those of you that especially if you're hurting right now of just knowing that heaven means no more pain, no more migraines. Uh, there'll be no more back uh, problems in heaven, no more pharmacies, there'll be no more rehab centers, no more cancer, no more chemotherapy units, things like diabetes, uh, cystic fibrosis, multiple sclerosis, Alzheimer's, depression, and anxiety will all be things of the distant past. No pain in heaven means no more war. Uh, it means no more school shootings. It means no more famine, no more starvation, no more divorce, no more loneliness, no more agony. It will be gone, never to return again. And the good news about heaven is this, that if you've lost loved ones who knew the Lord, there'll be a reunion in heaven. Parents, if you've lost children whether it be before birth or after they were born, there will be a great 
reunion. And so what do we do with things like pain this side of heaven? I love what the uh, writer J.R.R. Tolkien said about heaven and how it will be a place where all the sad things on earth come untrue. Aren't those good words? You know, and it doesn't mean that we'll forget them completely, but that somehow heaven will be even greater because of the pain and the suffering we experienced in this life. And I love this story. I've told it before, but I don't care. It's that good. It's the story of Johnny Erickson Tata. And I love the joy on her face. She broke her neck in a, as a teen in a diving accident. She's a quadriplegic now in her 70s. And she does a lot of writing and speaking and sharing about how God used that accident to accomplish or to demonstrate his love for her. And I love this. These are her words. Here's what she says. You know, I hope that in some way I can take my wheelchair to heaven. With my new glorified body, I will stand up from that wheelchair on resurrected legs, and I will stand next to the Lord Jesus, and I will feel those nail prints in his hands. And I'm going to say to him, thank you, Jesus, because in that moment, he will know I mean it, because he will recognize me from how hard I leaned on him in my sufferings. And then I'll say, Lord Jesus, do you, do you see that wheelchair over there? Well, you were right. When you put me in it, it was a lot of trouble. But the weaker I was in that thing, the harder I leaned on you. And the harder I leaned on you, the stronger I discovered you to be. I do not think, she says, I would have ever known the glory of his grace were it not for the weaknesses that I experienced in that wheelchair. And so she says, thank you, Lord Jesus, for that. And she imagines saying to Jesus, now, Jesus, if you would, please send that wheelchair straight to hell. So <laughs> that's so good. It's so good. So heaven means no more pain, and finally, it means that we will be with God. And uh, John writes this in verse 3. He, uh, he's got this revelation. He says, And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and He will dwell with them. They will be His people, and God Himself will be their God. You know, I don't know about you, but it's difficult for me to understand the significance of that. You know, what, what's that like? What will be that? What, what, what will be to be with God? And again, it's no, it's no coincidence that Adam and Eve experienced this in Eden. They, they were in this perfect relationship with God, but sin disrupted the relationship. And so all of these years since have been about God working to restore that relationship to the way that it was intended to be. Like we, we talk a lot around here about finding your way back to God. Like this is it. All right, this is the goal. This is the culmination and the prize. This is when we will completely and fully be back to God and be with him forever. And for now, all we can do each day is just try and imagine what it's like to dwell with him, where he'll be everything that we need. We'll be fully satisfied in him. Now, he will be our light. The Bible says there'll be no more darkness. We will be complete. But I will say this, you know, every day for us, uh, every moment is an opportunity to spend time with God, uh, talking to Him, reading about Him, trusting Him. Like, these are opportunities even now to just understand how good He is and how wonderful this future day will be. And, and so if you're in Christ Jesus, this is the reward. The, these are part of, these are a fraction of the rewards that we can expect and look forward to in eternity. But unfortunately, there's a problem and a real challenge. And as I get into this, I think the words of the great preacher Charles Spurgeon are so appropriate. He said this, he says, these are such weighty things, such that when I dwell upon them, I feel far more inclined to sit down and weep than to stand up and speak to you. 
See, here's the problem, here's the challenge that we need to be aware of, and that is that far too many people today are operating under the assumption that heaven is the default destination. And I need to tell you as clearly as I can that heaven is not automatic. Hell is our default destination. And there are far too many people that are living out there today, maybe, well, maybe even some of you here today right now, and we've just sort of convinced ourselves that if you're more good than bad, uh, if you treat people nice, at the end of all things, we're all going to wind up in heaven together, and that's not true. And even Jesus had some, some pretty difficult things to say, some sobering things about the reality of heaven and hell. Look at Matthew 7, verse 13. These are Jesus' words. He says, enter through the narrow gate. All right, he's talking about heaven. For wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. See, the challenge is that too many people believe today that heaven is this default destination when the reality is that far too many people are on the broad path that leads to the default destination, and that is eternal separation from God in hell. And so we talked about the, the first judgment, the seed of Christ, where followers of Jesus are rewarded for how they lived their life here on the earth. The second judgment is this in your notes. It's what's called the great white throne judgment. And here's the thing. If you're a Christian, if you've trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, if you make a decision to trust Christ before you die or before Jesus comes again, get this, you won't experience this judgment. All right, this judgment is not for believers. Listen to how John describes it. Revelation 20, verse 11, he says, Then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. The earth and the heavens fled from his presence, and there was no place for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. Another book was opened, which is the book of life, and the dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. Now, here's an important part, verse 15. He says, anyone whose name was not found written in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. And that means anyone whose sins weren't covered. Your sins are covered when you make a personal decision to trust Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. It is by grace that you and I are saved through faith. He died to forgive those sins, but we have to trust him with those. If you don't trust Christ with your sins in your life, they're not covered, all right? And so he says, anyone who doesn't trust Christ with their time here on this earth, anyone who rejected Christ, like if, if that's the case, if your name's not written in the book of life as it's described according to John, they will be thrown into the lake of fire, which is another name for hell. And that is the default destination. And, and please hear me when I say this. Okay, please hear me. And I, I realize that some of you may not know me or know me well at all. I understand these are tough things to hear, right? No preacher gets excited teaching about hell, all right? It just doesn't happen. But if you're not a Christian or maybe new to your faith, like you might be thinking to yourself, you know what, it's just, it's not fair. Like that is a very narrow view of seeing things. And honestly, like that would probably be my first thought too until I thought it through logically because let's talk about fair for just a moment. Like think about fair. Like have you ever known someone who did something so awful and they were not held accountable for their actions. Like we see this all the time in the life. It's on the media like every single day. And when someone doesn't get what they deserve or what we think they deserve, like we're outraged, right? Like we're really good at the outrage. We demand an answer that someone has to pay for this. 
And that's precisely what this judgment will ultimately accomplish because it just means that all of the garbage, all of the evil, all of the sin not covered by Christ, it will be dealt with and will be dealt with once and for all. And whether we like it or not, it's fair and it's also just. It's just according to our God. And if we, if we want to talk about fair, like let's talk about what we deserve, what we really deserve, because I don't know how you see it, but I deserve death. Like, I, I deserve hell. Like, my sin, my shortcomings, all the times I've thought what I've thought and, and my actions, like, I'm as deserving of hell as anyone. But this is what makes His love so scandalous. And it's what makes His grace so great and so amazing because He died for you. And with His death, what He said was, you know what, I'll take your sin. Like, like Easter, the message of Easter is all about a God, Jesus Christ, who died for our sin and forgave our sins. But, but here's the thing. I, I mean, in the same way, what he's saying is, I'm not going to force that on you. Like, Jesus, I'm not going to force that on you. I'm not going to force my love on you because, you know what, real love doesn't work like that. And so you can't make someone love you. Like, you, ha- you have to choose, right? Like, you have to choose it. Like, you have to receive that love for yourself. And And we all deserve death, like we all deserve the lake of fire, but the wonderful news is that Christ came, like the wonderful thing is that Christ gave his life. He he took the sin, like he took that punishment upon himself so that you and I, all right, that we wouldn't have to pay that price. He, He paid a price that you and I weren't able to pray for. And so heaven is my future destination today, and I know that's what's true for many of you, but it's only by his grace, and it's only through faith in Jesus Christ. And if there's any part of you that's thinking, you know what, this is too much. Like that you're thinking that, you know, I got people in my life right now, people who don't know this, like people who need this. Well, maybe part of our response today is to thank the Lord for opening up our hearts and our minds to just that and maybe kindling in us a greater passion for people in our life, a greater burden, a greater urgency to share the love of Christ with others. And and for someone here today who's maybe thinking, you know what, this is precisely why Christianity is a turnoff to so many people today and why so many say it's so narrow-minded. Let me me just say this. I, I find no joy whatsoever in the thought of anyone spending time in hell. In fact, if we all get to the judgment one day and find that we all go to heaven, I won't have any doubt or regrets. You know, I, I'm not going to throw a fit, but, but I just don't see it that way. Like, I, I don't know. I don't know how you can be a follower of Christ and see in that way. And, and so I just say this, if you're stuck today because you can't imagine a loving God ever sending someone to hell, I just say this, man, do the work for yourself. Like, spend some time reading and studying for yourself. Discover for yourself what the Bible has to say about sin and Christ and eternity. But for those of you sitting here today right now thinking, you know, this is a crisis. Like, why doesn't God do something about this? He has. Like, Jesus is the answer. Like, He is the solution to the crisis. And, and His invitation is for everyone. And it's still true and good today and until He comes again. Here's what He says as we close in Revelation 22 17. Notice Jesus' words. He says, Come and let the one who hears say, Come and let the one who is thirsty come and let the one who wishes take the free gift of the water of life. Notice it's a free gift. It's not about what you can prove or being so good. You have to receive it. Again, it's by grace through faith in Jesus. 
And you got to know, you, you have to make this choice, this side of heaven. You don't get to go before the great white throne judgment and then make up your mind. You got to make it today. Like you got to make it while you still have time and while you still have life. Have you? Have you made a decision like that? Have you trusted Christ as your Lord and Savior? Let's pray. God in heaven, we, we would be fools if we didn't say this is tough stuff. And man, there are so many questions. I could come up with a lot of questions of how this works and why it works like this, but we're just trusting that you are a sovereign God with a sovereign plan that involves your son, Jesus Christ, who gave his life so that we could have life. And uh, Father, I pray that for those here today who know Christ as Savior, I pray that today would be a, an encouragement, um, that we would be grateful for what we have in you uh, and for what's coming. But I pray that at the same time, too, it would be a motivation and a reminder that the way we live our lives now matters. And so, Lord, we want to be faithful, obedient people and all for your glory. Help us to love God with all of our heart, with all of our soul and strength and might, and to love the people around us as you have loved them, as you have shown through your son, Jesus. Lord, so that others may know, that others may turn to Christ. And um, I, I want to talk for just a moment for those of you that are here, and maybe you've never made a decision to trust Christ before. What's standing in the way of you doing? And, and could it be that today you are here and it's not by accident? The Lord's got you here on purpose and for a reason. And he's been doing some work in your life. And he's been encouraging you this morning in ways that maybe like you've never experienced before. And maybe his invitation to you today is come. Come if you're thirsty. It's a free gift. And receive eternal life. And that's not just a ticket to heaven one day. Like that's a promise for now. It's an invitation, like we talked about last week, to live life now and to live it fully. And so if you've never received Christ as your Savior, you can do that right now where you're seated. And the Bible says if we confess with our mouths and believe in our hearts that Jesus is Lord, we will be saved from the dead. And so maybe you're ready today to confess with your mouth. You can do that where you're seated. You don't have to say it out loud. You can even just say it silently. Lord Jesus, I need you. I want you in my life. I am choosing to believe this today. And uh, that's what he's after. That's what he desires. He doesn't want anyone to perish, but for everyone to come to repentance. And it's what he wants for you and for some of you today. And so, Lord, we pray you continue your work in our hearts and in our lives and just help us to be the people that you've called us to be. And, uh, man, if you made a decision today to trust Christ or, man, you feel yourself moving in that direction, just, just I hope you'll talk to somebody. Catch somebody up front afterwards. Talk to the person that invited you today. We'd love to help you in thinking about next steps. We thank you, Father. Thanks for your work. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.